Um, I want to talk a little bit. We've been doing a series. I think this is probably uh, sixth or seventh um, um, session about uh, developing a supernatural culture, developing a, um, a prophetic culture. And we, we've talked uh, at length about um, prophecy, the difference between prophecy. We spent the whole session to, on the difference between a, an office of a prophet and prophecy. How many of you were there for part of that or some of that? Okay. And so, um, and then, this, how many of you are, are left over from the school of the prophets? So we did that in the school of the prophets also. So your leftovers, that's awesome. It's better than being left out, right? And so we've been, we've been spending quite a bit of time just developing, talking about developing um, a prophetic culture and developing um, uh, a supernatural culture. And we, we did a little bit about the office of a prophet. And last, uh, last week we talked about judging uh, prophetic words and how a culture, a prophetic culture actually, um, there's, there's, if you will, there's referees and coaches in a prophetic culture. And we're, we're, we're actually, we have, this, we have this huge passion to move from supernatural ministry to actually a supernatural culture. From prophetic ministry to a prophetic culture. And we talked about last week that in a prophetic culture that people prophesy into, into, a, into a place where there's, you know, there's referees and there's coaches. There's people that are, that are helping direct the prophetic ministry for, towards, uh, towards excellence, towards... Um, how many know there's a difference between between um, perfectionism and excellence? You know, perfectionism is the is the outcome of fear, but excellence is the is the manifestation of his his excellency. And so um, I think that I think God wants us to move in excellence. I, I think excellence demonstrates the very presence of God. And um, and and also we want we want referees. We want you know when somebody uh, ministers in some way. That's um, that's not appropriate. We we want to be able to confront them. Now, just because we've said this over and over, um, I feel like I don't want to give it a bunch of time. But when I'm talking about confrontation, we're not, we're not talking about like some of us grew up in uh, places where there was rage hawks and people confronted when they were angry. And I'm not talking about any of that. I'm simply do, talking about what happens when you are actually coached on a team and your coach says, "Hey, we're not doing it that way," or "Hey, that's a foul." Or, Whatever that that we're actually developing an, an atmosphere, a culture, a place where when people minister, that they know that they're ministering in this safety net of fathers and mothers who will actually talk to them about how they're doing and give them feedback on their ministry. And I think that whenever we empower people, whenever we we make people powerful, when we empower people, but we don't confront people, we don't develop a culture that actually gives people feedback, we don't confront people, we end up with Absalons. And so it's really important that we that we develop a culture that empowers people, that also that in that actually gives people feedback about how their ministry is affecting everyone else. And so um, tonight I want to talk just a little bit about that, that um, in Ephesians chapter 4, it's kind of where we um, launched last week. Uh, in fact, why don't you just turn there and in Ephesians chapter 4. I want to, uh, we did verse 7, in e, to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And down to verse 11, And he gave some as apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers 
for the equipping of the saints to do the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. I wanted to just talk um, through this for just a couple of minutes and, um, and just kind of hone in on a, on a few pieces here. This is, this is a picture of what happens when the fivefold ministry begins to flow together in one pool. In, in, uh, in John chapter 5, um, Jesus talks about uh, the fact that there's a pool of Bethesda that have five porticles. You remember the pool of Bethesda had five porticles, and it said that there, well, the angel of the Lord would go down in certain seasons and stir the water, and whoever was first in the pool, whoever got in the, in the pool first, after the water was stirred, that person would get healed. And um, I was, I, I've been teaching for a while that that pool of Bethesda, although it really was a pool, that was also a great prophetic metaphor for the fivefold ministry. It says it had five porticles. It had, and the word, word portical means like porches or coverings. And I, I, I really believe it's a beautiful picture of how the fivefold ministry, when the fivefold ministry begins to flow into one pool, the, we start to get angelic help. And how many of you realize that angels were a lot more prevalent in the book of Acts than they are in, our, in most of our churches? As a matter of fact, angels are only mentioned four, four times less than the Holy Spirit in the, in the New Testament. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit is God. So I'm simply saying that the angel visitations, visual, visual angel visitations were quite prevalent in the, in the New Testament. And uh, one, of the, one time I, I asked this question, where have all the angels gone? And I wonder how many angels remain unemployed. <laughs> because Hebrews 1 says that the angels are actually servants uh, for those who... Um, they're servants of, of those who receive salvation. They render service to those who receive salvation. And I don't mean that we have to command angels, but I think that if we create an atmosphere where the angels feel like they're invited into this uh, Holy Spirit vortex, that they begin to carry out His word. Psalms 103, I think, verse 20, says the angels hearken to His word and carry out His voice. And so it, I think it's the angels who oftentimes are the ones who fulfill our property, pro- properties. They fulfill our properties. They should fill our properties, fulfill our properties. And fulfill our prophecies <laughs> and answer our prayers, if you will. And so uh, I think um, John, uh, John chapter 5 is such a beautiful picture of the five porticles, the way the five porticles create this pool, if you will, cover this pool where we, we, get, uh, st- we create strategic alliances with heavenly allies and we get heavenly help. And the angels begin to help us. And I actually think that um, as we get more um, uh, in line with the scripture and strategic about the way that we go from, I'm talking about the fivefold ministry, the way we go from emerging, because now we've emerged. Now, everywhere in the world, there's apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. I'm not saying they're accepted in every church, but I, I, I don't know a continent on, on the planet where there isn't the fivefold ministry in operation in some way. But I think what we're learning is how does the fivefold ministry actually interact with one another? How do they flow into one pool? How do they go from emerging to actually merging into one pool in a way that is actually strategic, if you will, in a way that creates synergy and becomes a catalytic pool for uh, for, super, for a supernatural culture, so that 
you know, you know, we were talking about levels of God's presence, and um, I just, I just have this dream that you know, there's, there's God, God in the rock, so to speak, where we began. You know, God's in everything. There's, there's God in you, in the, in the way that He's in you, in a way He's not in an unbeliever. And there's God in, in when there's two or three to get gathered together. There's, there's God in us in another dimension. And then Jesus talked about a wineskin, and He said, "I don't pour new wine into old wineskins, but I, at least the wineskin rip and the wine be lost. But I pour new wine into new wineskins." And so we're learning, like, okay, how do we get the intoxicating presence of God to actually not just visit but stay, not just corporately but in, individually in our life? How do I get so um, under the influence of the Holy Spirit? It's like being drunk with wine. How do I get so influenced by the Holy Spirit that literally all of my thoughts or most of my thoughts are actually influenced by the wine of God, the Holy Spirit's presence in my life? And is there some sort of... Uh, I don't, I don't know if secret's the right word, but is there some sort of wineskin? Is there some sort of, is there something that I can do that would cause him to pour out more wine? Can I increase the size of a container? Can I, can I become more current? Because a wineskin, you know, is both flexible. He said it's a new wineskin, so it's, it's flexible and it's current. Is there something that I can, that I can do? Is there anything that I can do on my part that would encourage him to do more on his part? And I understand that, you know, that's, there's some sort of divine paradox where in, in one sense God does whatever He wants. And, and I said in the beginning of the message that I've seen God fall on people who didn't know God, who didn't want to know God. I remember in the early days of the renewal what, that we were youth pastors and I remember, I remember uh, unsaved people being literally drugged to the youth group and they didn't want to be there and God would just fall on them. They would get stuck to the floor for hours and their parents would come and run out of the room and well like, they're all, it's okay they're all right and little children who you know did hard, i don't know if they knew god but they would they would get electrocuted and we'd carry them out and i, I don't know that they did i'm not you know i'm not i'm just uh, listen i don't know i'm simply saying it's not evident that they did anything like god just did whatever he wanted to do and you're like awesome that's amazing but there's a little bit of um I don't know if, if uh, discouragement's the right word. I'll have, like, I like to have some, some sense that I, that I could invite God into a deeper dimension into my heart, like that my will does make some difference. And that our corporate will makes some difference. And, and I, I know that at times that, that probably isn't true at all. God just decides to fall. On the, on, on the other hand, it was, they really did pray for ten days in the upper room like Jesus told them to do. And they, they replaced Judas with, with uh, Matthias, and then the Holy Spirit fell on them. And so, is it possible that their, their ten days of prayer and their, um, and their placing uh, uh, Matthias in Judas' place actually had something to do with the, why the Holy Spirit was able to fall in such a, a historic way? Is it possible that there are things... Well, there are actions, there are attitudes. Uh, I'm not even sure that, I, that, I'm, that I've got the right words, but is, is there something that we can will that will actually cause His will to actually synergize with our will and there can be another depth of His presence, if you will? In other words, I know that if you're a believer, God is present. I know if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, there's another sense of God's presence. But I'm aware that there's more. I'm aware there's more um, for two reasons. One, I've tasted it on certain occasions, kind of like the pool in certain seasons. <laughs> like, I don't know if I was not the first one in and someone else got it. Like, my wife gets in there a lot faster. I can't swim, so I have to be careful. <laughs> 
Um, but, but I'm also aware of it because I've watched other people have more than I have. I think that jealousy is a great evangelistic tool. God used it throughout the Bible. He said to Israel, I'm going to so bless you, the nations of the earth are going to be jealous. Jealousy isn't always a negative motivation. Sometimes it's a positive. God used it. So um, I'm just, my, my question to us uh, right now, and, and, and this part of what I want to share is, is there something that we can do that actually invites a deeper sense of God's presence or uh, that causes God to, to um, move, uh, move on us in a way that, that actually transforms us or changes us into another, into another person, another place. Uh, you know what I think, and I'm trying to say at least. Anyway, so I see, uh, and where I'm going is this: I see that that in the pool of Bethesda, when the uh, when the the five porticles I think represent the fivefold ministry, and I see that there's an emerging of the fivefold ministry in a way that they're beginning to learn how to work together. And Romans 12, um, I think we shared this some last week, but it, you know, it's a like, uh, verse two where it says, "Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind." You might uh, know what the will of God is—the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. And the next verse, um, in fact, sorry, I don't have it memorized, but the next verse says this. Next verse says, "For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think." but to think as to have sound judgment, for God has allotted each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members don't have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and we're individually members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each of us, each of us exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if, serve, if service in his serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation. And it goes on like that. But the point is this. It says that, it says that, don't be conformed, but be transformed. How do you know that if you're being transformed or conformed? I mean, what are the, what are the symptoms that you're being conformed? And I'm sure there's lots of lot more symptoms than I'm going to mention tonight. But one of the ways that you know if, that you're being transformed is you don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Well, how do I know if I, if I think too highly of myself? And remember, he's not saying, hey, you should think really low of yourself. He's saying you should have a good estimation of who you are and who you aren't. How do you know if you're thinking too highly of yourself? Well, it's in the next verses. He begins to talk about the diversity of the body. And he says there's different gifts, there's different graces. There's, and, and he said if you, if, you have this, if you have this gift, you know, if you have the gift of service, then serve. If you have the gift of prophecy, then prophesy. And he's, he's talking about the diversity of the body. How do you know if you think too highly of yourself? You, you don't value people who are different than you. Anybody who's different than you gets a, a lower seat in your heart house. And, and I think that's, that part of this, this uh, emerging wineskin, a part of this emerging wineskin, in other words, the, bar, the part of the, the fivefold ministry beginning to emerge into one pool, is that we begin to have value for people who are different than us intentionally. In other words, we, it, we, we say to ourselves, that person, the way that person views the word is, world is different than the way I view the world, and I need that person in my life specifically because they view the word, world differently. You know, if you see a problem in someone's life, it's because you're, you're designed to help them with that, their weakness, not so that you can complain about what they're not good at. 
And by the way, they see something wrong in your life also. They just don't tell you about it (laughs) most of the time. (laughs) And so um, I believe that I believe that God wants us to develop a prophetic culture where the gifts of the spirit, where the gifts of Christ, I'm talking about the gifts of Christ, actually, where the gifts of Christ begin to to flow together into one pool. And I want to talk a little bit about that. And if you'll go back to Ephesians um, chapter 4, we already talked about he gave some as apostles and prophets, verse 11. And I wanted to talk just for a few minutes about the outcome of... um, the outcome of the fivefold ministry. It says that he gave some as apostles and prophets for the equipping of the saints. Let me give you the, uh, the list of five things that the saints are equipped with. It says, number one, they're equipped for the work of service. Number two, they're equipped to build up the body of Christ. Number three, they're equipped to attain the unity of faith. Number four, they're equipped to have the full knowledge of the Son of God. And number five, they're equipped to mature and to grow up. So here's part, what, what's it look like for fivefold ministry? What's it look like when fivefold ministry is moving together? People grow up. That's just a Selah right there. People grow up. When the, when the, when the, when the fivefold ministry, when the apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers are equipping the saints... What are they? What is the result of that? That people they begin to do the work of service. No, it's no longer it's no longer the fivefold ministry that's doing the work. It's no longer the quote paid staff or however you want to look at it. It's the saints who are equipped to do the work of service. When Jesus said the harvest is plentiful but the labors are few, pray the Lord of the harvest send harvesters into the harvest. How many of you understand that that? That, that you are the answer to Jesus' prayer. And the truth is that the harvest is plentiful, but so are the laborers. Because as soon as you receive Jesus, you went from harvest to laborer. That you actually became one of the laborers. So you are you're the answer to Jesus' prayer. The harvest is plentiful, but there are billions of saints on the planet who are being equipped to actually do the work. And so, did you get that? That's actually a good word. So what's it look like? It looks like that the saints become a royal priesthood. Instead of there being, instead of there being two classes of people, you know, the Nicolaitans, they, they had two classes of people. Jesus said, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. They were the, they were the, means the conqueror of the lay people. They divided the body of Christ into two classes of people. The people who did the work and the people who received the ministry. And Jesus said twice in the book of Revelation, I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. There's no such thing as lay people. Well, there are people who sleep. That's the only lay people there are in the body of Christ. Everybody else is part of the royal priesthood. You're, part, you're not just a priesthood. You're part of the royal priesthood and you're heirs to Christ Jesus. You're the ones, the body. Listen, the fivefold ministry hands out the equipment, but you do the work. You're the one who's doing the miracles. You're the one in Daniel chapter 7. It says the saints of the highest one receive a kingdom. They receive dominion, glory, and a kingdom. It doesn't say the apostles of the highest one or the prophets of the highest. It says the saints of the highest one. You were actually born to lead and to rule 
and to take dominion over the dominion of darkness. <laughs> anyway, so, so one, of the, one of the signs that there's a wineskin that's actually... Uh, there's a wineskin that's actually drawing the very presence of God in a new dimension into our lives, is that the saints begin to do the work of service instead of paying someone to do it. You know, I always know in, um, in our church, I always know who's, who's watching and who's, and who's helping. When people come to us and say, you know what you guys should do? See, they're not, they haven't taken ownership. They come to church, but they haven't become the church. Just a thought. It says that they came to build up the body of Christ. How many know the goal is to build up? That's just a good word for a whole bunch of churches. The goal of, the goal of ministry is to build up. Uh, maybe I should say not tear down. Build up. Well, in fact, it says the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good. Seven times in, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says that the gift of, gift of prophecy is for edification. That means to build up, to edify. Selah. And it says, to, until we attain the unity of faith. Did you notice it didn't say the unity of the Word? I guess we read into that. It's like, until they all doctrinally agree... Wouldn't that be boring? It wouldn't be if you guys all agree with me. But the goal isn't that we doctrine agree. The goal is that we'd have unity of faith, that we'd all believe God, that we'd all trust God. You, you recognize that we're called to the unity of faith and we're called to the unity of the Spirit? But there's no place in the Bible that's, that we're called to the unity of the Word. I don't mean that we shouldn't all agree. Paul said, I wish, I would that you would all agree. And I'm not sure that they all agreed on doctrine. I think that there's great diversity as we see the fivefold ministry begin to, to, begin to merge. That one of the, one of the uh, really awesome things about the, about the fivefold ministry is that they see different perspectives of the kingdom. And I think value in that, in that sense, there can be agreement. And that's, in, there, in that sense, like, I don't see what you see, but I value what you see. And so I think that's good. Um, and then it's, this is what it says, that there, here's the result of that. The result of that is that we're no longer children. We are no longer tricked by de- bad doctrine. Verse 14. As a result, we're no longer children tossed here and there by waves and carried away by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So, what does is, what, what is the fivefold ministry do? What is the, what's the result of having healthy fivefold ministry in our lives? We're no longer tricked and deceived by weird doctrine, evil schemers. There's, there's a sense of discernment when you have... Five perspectives in a body. Are you following me? Um, but speaking the truth in love were to grow up in all aspects of Him who's the head, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies. 
That's just the same thing again. According to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. And this is where we, we've kind of ended um, last week. The body, the goal of the fivefold ministry is that the body would build up the body. That the body is healthy because of what every joint supplies. That every joint, that you have something to give. In fact, Paul said when you come together, each one of you has a song, has a hymn, has a spiritual song, that you're there to build up each other in Christ. What a, what a, different, um, what a different way to come to church. What a different way to gather when you come to give instead of just come to receive. You come as a contributor and, and not just a consumer. And so um, we, we want to see, see something change in our whole attitude towards what we call church. But... Um, in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 10, I want you just to turn there for a second. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 10. Samuel has just anointed, in verse 1, Saul as king and Samuel took the flask of oil poured it on his head and kissed him and says is not the Lord anointed you as a ruler over his inheritance and then he begins to talk to him about what he should do now this is this is interesting because he's already anointed him king it says when you go down for me today you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin however you say that, and they will say, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys, and he's anxious for you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go from there, and you will come to the far as the oak at the bar, and there will be three men going up to God at Bethel, who will meet you, one carrying three young goats, one carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, and you will accept them into your hand. And afterwards you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is, and it shall be as soon as you come there to the city, you will meet a group of prophets. Everybody say, a group of prophets. Coming down from the high place with the harp and tambourine, flute and lyre before them, and they will be prophesying. And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily, and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. Hmm. And it shall be that when these signs come to you, do for yourself what the occasion requires, for God is with you. And you shall go down from there to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice and peace offerings, and you shall wait seven days until I come to you, and you shall do, and I shall, um, sorry, I'll show you what you should do. Verse 9, Then it happened, when he turned his back to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, and all these signs came about that day. And when they came to the hill country there, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, so he prophesied among them. And it came about, when all who knew him previously saw him, that he prophesied now with the prophets, that the people said to one another, What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man there said, Now, who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, Is Saul among the prophets? 
I want to just give you one more reference. This is, uh, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 19. 1 Samuel chapter 19. I guess, let's just go back and read um, from verse 8 for a little bit of context. There was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and defeated them in a great, with a great slaughter, and they fled before him. Now there was an evil spirit from the Lord upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand, and David was playing the harp with his hand. So Saul tried to pin David to the wall with his spear, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. And Saul sent messengers to David's house, and so on and so forth. Go down to verse 15. Then Saul sent messengers to see, to see David, saying, Bring him up to me on his bed, and I will put him to death. When the messengers entered, behold, the household idol was on the bed, and the quilt and goat's hair was on its head. In other words, they came in to arrest David, and David uh, knew that he was going to be arrested, so they, he kind of... Put, an, uh, put something under the covers so that they would think it was him. He carried that bed into, into Saul's presence. So Saul said to Michael, Why have you deceived me like this and let my enemy go so that he escaped? And Michael said to Saul, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I be put to death? Verse 18, Now David fled and escaped and came to Saul at Rampha. I'm sorry, came to Samuel at Rampha and told him that Saul, what Saul had done and how, how Samuel... And, and, he, and he and Samuel went and stayed at, uh, wherever that is, Nampha. And he, was, and he told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Nampha in Rampha. Then Samuel sent messengers to take David. But when they, when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying with Samuel standing and presiding over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they prophesied. And it came about that when Saul, it went, and it was told Saul, and he sent messengers, and they prophesied also. So Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied. So he himself went down the Rapha and came as far as the large uh, well. And, where the, where, and they said, where is Samuel and David? And someone said, behold, there they are. And he proceeded down there. And the Spirit of God came upon him, verse 23, him also. And he went along prophesying and continued until he came to Rapha. And he stripped off all his clothes. And he too prophesied before Samuel. And he laid naked all day and night. Therefore, it was said, is Saul among the prophets? Um, I just, it's such a powerful story of uh, a prophetic culture where Saul, King Saul, encounters this, this culture when he gets, uh, during his inauguration, he gets, uh, he gets anointed king, and yet uh, the Samuel says, listen, you're, you're called to be king, and he anoints him king, and yet he doesn't have what he needs to be king until he meets the prophets. And when he meets the prophets, he, Samuel says to him, when you meet the prophets, you're going to be changed into another man. And so there's Saul. He's, he's anointed king. He's already he's called to be king. He's anointed king. He's already showing some leadership ability. But when he meets the prophets, he's changed into another man. Years later, uh, over and over, in fact, more than once, he, he, he goes insane. It says an evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul because he wanted to kill David. And there's that, that whole thing of suspicion and jealousy, which maybe we should stop and say we need to make sure that that thing doesn't enter our hearts. Man, prophetic competition 
draws the wrong spirit into our life. You know, it, that whole thing began when David and Saul came back from killing Goliath. You remember that? And defeating the Philistine army. And the women were lined up and, and they were singing, Saul killed his thousands and David has killed his ten thousand. Ten thousands. How many of you understand that if, David, if Saul would have been a real father, he would have celebrated the fact that the man that he found, the man he anointed, how many know that David, all David was doing before he met Saul was leading sheep in the wilderness? But when Saul discovered him and, and, and uh, anointed him to go fight Goliath and the, and the Philistines, that they, it wasn't just David who had a great victory. Israel had a great victory. And there, there's something about fatherhood that should be celebrated. Jesus said, greater works will you do when I go to be with the Father. I mean, the heart of the Father is that, a heart of a Father is that our sons outgrow us. I mean, that should have been, an, that should have been, a, that song should have actually been a compliment to Saul. That Saul had killed thousands, but the son that he had discovered, that he had equipped, had killed his ten thousands. But instead it inspired jealousy and suspicion in his life. And what happened? An evil spirit from the Lord. In other words, Saul made a way for an evil spirit to come into his life. And over and over that evil spirit tormented him until we would say he was probably had schizophrenia or there would be some kind of, uh, some kind of diagnosis, psychological diagnosis for what Saul what Saul actually displayed out of, out of this evil spirit that continued to attack him. But what's amazing is it doesn't matter, didn't matter how demonized the guy was. Whenever he come, came into the, into, the, into the presence of the company of prophets, he was changed back into the man that he was called to be in the first place. Where he take off, strip off his clothes. In other words, it, it wasn't that he was you know, doing something wrong or, or you know, weird. Or, you know, he wasn't streaking. He was, he, he was, you know what I'm trying, when it says he stripped off his clothes, in other words, he took off his old identity. He released himself from his old identity and took on the identity that the prophetic word had called him into. He stripped off everything that he had added to, to himself. And he began to be the man that God called him to be until it says it was a byword among, among is, the Israelites. Is, you saw among the prophets. In other words, if God can do that to a crazy man, then certainly he can do anything for you. And my... And my passion is that we would begin to embrace not just the prophetic ministry, but that we embrace the, the, the fivefold ministry in such a way that it would build a wineskin, that when people came into that wineskin, it would draw out their destiny, their purpose, their calling, their gift. And it wouldn't matter that if they were destined to do something evil or, or whether they had a heart for God. When they come into the presence of God in that dimension, are you, you, you understand what I'm saying? It's like God's always with us. He's in a rock in a sense. You know, God is with us when we see, receive Christ. When two or three are gathered in our, in our midst, God's there in another dimension. When we worship, and I think in public worship, there's another sense of God's presence. But wouldn't it be amazing that if we could find this place like the company of prophets, that when people came into the company, listen, Saul sends messengers. He sends messengers three times to the company of prophets. And every time they come to the company of prophets to arrest David, as soon as they get in that vortex of God's presence, they prophesy with the prophets. And Saul says, forget it. You know what? You want a job done right, you just do it yourself. And I'll just take care of myself. And he gets there and he strips his clothes off. And they're like, <laughs> yes, yeah, see, that's what happened to us. Same thing happened to us. It's just something, there's just, there's, oh man, there's more. 
There's, there's more of God to be had in our lives. I just think, I think you know, maybe, I, maybe I'm exaggerating this, but is it possible that this is the answer to our city's problems? That the answer to crime is that the presence of God would come in such a way that people that, you know, that are criminals would actually come into the presence of God and they would no longer want to do crimes anymore. That I think in that vortex, and I'm, uh, this is subjective, it doesn't say this, but I think in that vortex there isn't just prophecy available, I think there's every dimension of God available. The wisdom of God, the power of God, healing, and all kinds of, everything that's present with, everything that's in God, I think is present in that vortex. When you come in sick and you leave healed, you come in demonized, you leave delivered, you come in uh, ignorant and you, and you leave with revelation. I, I, just, I, I really feel like that that's what Ephesians 4, I think, is trying to say to us. Like, this is the five, you know, he gave some of his apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and he begins to talk about what it looks like for us to, to actually come into that, that five-fold family, if you will, and, and, and experience that vortex. No longer are we deceived, no longer are we, are we scheming, but we're equipped to do the work. And the result of that is the body begins to build up the body. People come in to that vortex and they get saved, healed, and delivered. And it's not the, it's not the pastor's doing the work it's the saints who are doing the work they're doing it at walmart and they're doing it at kmart and they're doing it at the school system and, and it's no longer listen they, they can't keep <laughs> you know what i'm saying they can keep they can they can keep pastors out of schools but they can't keep the saints out and i just have a sense that that's where we're heading So part of what I think prophets bring, I think prophets, the goal of prophetic, no, let me back up. The goal of a prophet should be to create a prophetic culture that when people come into the culture, they don't just get a word. They're changed into another person. I'll tell you, <laughs> there's so many examples that I can think of, you know, we... We had some folks, we went to Mexico with, Bill and I uh, did a, I guess, I don't know what's called, a crusade or something in Mexico. And we had some folks there, which, great folks, you know, just wonderful Christians. Uh, but they, they came into this, uh, for lack of better word, they came into this vortex and we had them on a ministry team. I don't know if anyone, any of them had ever ministered before, at least not very often. And they became our ministry team. We're like, you're the ministry team. And, and, and one of them prayed for... Um, Boy, Bill, you can sure help me. I think a blind person, and they got they, the blind person got healed, and something just took off in that person, and suddenly, like blind people were lying. I prayed for two blind people. Not one of them had even. I mean, they didn't even get an inkling. And I'm like, hey, go have these guys pray for you. That that person walked away seeing, and, and they got in line. They got prayed for. And I I don't remember how many blind people got healed. Was it five from these from those folks right there? And they came back a different man. I'm dead serious. They came back changed. And, you know, and over, the same thing happens in Randy Clark. I mean, one of the things I hear over and over with Randy Clark, I love his teaching and all. But the thing I appreciate more is people go, I went on a Randy Clark. I went on a Randy Clark, uh, um, you know, ministry team. I was on Randy Clark ministry team in Brazil or wherever he goes. And, uh, you know, I, I went there, Clark Kent, and I came back Superman. 
I can't tell you how many people I've heard say this. I mean, I could almost finish their sentences. They're like, yeah, I had never seen anyone healed. I said, I know. I'm blind. I saw blind eyes. I saw blind eyes healed. I mean, I touched people who were there. They had, they had white eyes and a completely healed. And, and it, what happened? They experienced this vortex and they were forever changed. I don't mean they just saw a miracle. Listen, yeah, that's awesome. But I mean that something... Something travels with Randy that isn't just good teaching. People come into the, a vortex. I, don't, I can't explain it. And I have never been on a trip with Randy Clark. I've taught in his school a couple times. But there's something that happens on, in, on Randy Clark's mission trips where people come into this vortex. It has to be... It must look very similar because of the reports that I hear over and over. I've heard hundreds of them for years. And some of our own team, they go, like, I go there, I hear Randy speak, but then I... People just, I see de- demons, people getting d- delivered and all this crazy stuff. And something happened to me and I'll never be the same. I've heard that testimony over and over. I look for newspaper reporters to come into our church to write bad stuff about us. And leave prophesying. Send another reporter. Leave prophesying. Send the owner himself. Take off all his clothes. And that, not that part. Strip him of his identity. What do you guys think I meant? You guys are too visual. That's the problem. I want to share a, a few pieces about prophets and what we can expect from them. Um, I, I shared this part uh, actually last week. It says in Malachi 4, it says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He'll restore the hearts of fathers to children, the hearts of children to their fathers. So we will not smite the uh, land with a curse. And so, you know, one of the things that um, that this prophetic vortex and the and a and the role of a prophet um, should create in a New Testament is, this, is the ministry of reconciliation. I think wherever you see healthy prophetic ministry, you see families restored. You see people restored. You see reconciliation. I have a real struggle when... Um, I won't say that. I, I, I think it's important that we have our own families in order. I'm not talking about that your family's perfect. But it is a foundation for everything that you do. Paul talked to Timothy about elders and he said, listen, if you can't, you can't manage your own household, you don't have any business managing the household of God. Um, uh, again, you know, I, if you have grown children and they're out of the house and they have a free will and they could be doing whatever, I don't think that disqualifies you. But I think, that when, I think there is a sense that your house is, should be in order. I, I think that uh, a few things that are important to remember is, is that oftentimes the prophet is the message, not just has a message. Sometimes you can look at a prophet's life and know what God's saying to the church. <laughs> you just hope he's happy. <laughs> so I'm going to stay with Bill so I can always have a happy message. You know, think about Hosea. Of course, it's an Old Testament picture. I understand that. But I mean, the principle, I think, is still... Um, still evident in the New Testament in that Hosea is commanded to marry 
a prostitute. And you remember that whole story. And God says, listen, Hosea, when people see your family, they'll know what I'm saying to them. And I think that's I think there's there's something to be said about that. Like it's important that we that we the prophetic people, prophets and prophetic people, all ministers, really, that we demonstrate that we model our message, that we actually are our message, that we're not saying something, you know, we're not. Um, we're not giving people formula Christianity. I had a, a, a dream some years ago, and in this dream, I saw a man feeding, bottle feeding a baby. And uh, in the dream, uh, like a lightning bolt or something, blew the bottle up, and the, this voice said, no more formula Christianity. And, th- and then this part is, sounds a little weird, but... Oh, well. <laughs> the scene changed, and the man was breastfeeding a child. And the Lord said in the dream, he said, I never, he said, I, I never wanted you, I never wanted you to give what you haven't first assimilated in your own body. And he said, intimacy should always be related to feeding. So I think the Lord wants to break form. You know what form of Christianity is? Form of Christianity is when you're telling people about stuff you've never experienced. And it's your normal mode. I'm not talking about like revelation where the God requires you to say stuff. You're like, hey, I've never experienced this, but the Lord, this is the word. But you know, when it's your normal mode, like I tell people to do stuff I don't do. I actually think that's called hypocrisy. And so I think it's important that prophetic people, prophets, and the fivefold ministry and all the body of Christ, that we're, actually, that we're actually modeling something at home that we're exporting to the world. You know, if your prophetic ministry doesn't work at home, I don't know if you have anything to say to anyone else. Honestly. It's so quiet in here, I don't know if I... I didn't say anything profound or anything that isn't obvious in the book. But I, I think like your, your, our first ministry should be to our family. Our, our, I mean, our family should be benefiting from our prophetic ministry that builds up the body. The first part of the body we should be building up are the people who live in our house. <laughs> uh, someone once said, you'll never be nicer to his bride than you are to yours. My wife's sitting on the front row. I'm not looking over there right now. (laughs) I'm hoping she doesn't stand up and go, he doesn't live like that at home. She's smiling. Okay, that's good. (laughs) And the whole world's smiling with you at this point. So I, I think we need to realize that prophetic ministry needs to have the ministry of reconciliation. Like, it's really important for us to use our gift to see people recon- reconciled, people groups reconciled. Um, I, I don't think this is stretching it. I think the Lord's going to use us to, to reconcile nations. You, can I, I'm just going to read you one of my favorite verses. Um, you don't know this verse because you think it's for the millennium. <laughs> but I grabbed it and pulled it into our day. Well, I'm pulling. <laughs> I'm pulling. I don't know if we got it into this day yet. Listen to this. 
it's uh, Isaiah chapter 2. It says, now it come about in the last days. Are we living in the last days? Okay. That the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as chief, as chief of the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many people will come and say, come, let us come to the mountain of the Lord. Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us concerning his ways. Now, does that mirror Matthew 28, where Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I taught you. So it says, and, and he, that he may teach them concerning his ways. Then we will walk in his paths, for the law will go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge, listen to this, he will judge between nations. He will render decisions between many people. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they train for war. Now that's the spirit of reconciliation. Wouldn't it be awesome if we created a prophetic ministry that reconciled nations? What do you do for a living? Uh, I stop wars. Yeah. Yeah. We have rumors of wars, but no wars. As soon as we hear the rumors, we send in the prophetic people and they reconcile nations. Wouldn't that be awesome if actually the ministry of reconciliation that was flowing from Elijah, the, the, the last day's prophetic ministry, actually had the strength to reconcile nations? And that uh, it wasn't just uh, the president who sent out ambassadors, but the kingdom sent out ambassadors. Ambassadors of peace that reconciled people, groups, tribes, nations. And I, I just think that's just a really good word. I read that all the time and I think, you know what, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And, you know, of course, when you read that, you get sometimes you get emails that are like, well, that's in the millennium because that's supposed to happen. But it doesn't say in the millennium. It just says in the last days. So it seems legal to me to just pull it into this day because Peter quoted, it shall come about in the last days. So. If this is called the last days, I don't know why we can't take this verse. So I'm taking it. I think war is a bad thing. I think war uh, uh, you know, kills people. But, um, uh, uh, you know, I, I think that re- religion starts wars, but the kingdom stops them. It's just a thought. And I, I know that's maybe more confusing than that, but whatever. Don't ask me what I think about the wars that we're in right now, because I think I'm pro some of them, so I don't know how that works. So confused. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, know, I haven't worked this all out yet, okay? Some assembly required. I am really convinced of what I'm saying until I sit down and think about what I just said and then sometimes <laughs> sometimes I think that I, what I said is, is almost completely accurate <laughs> so um, I, I want to just give you a couple of more it's getting late I want to give you a couple more ideas about what prophets do Ezra 5.1 when the prophets Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to the Jews who were at Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. 
Then Zerubbabel, the son of man, that guy, and Jeshua, the son of Zadok, arose and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. Man, I like that. Let me give you another one. Ezra 6.14. The elders of the Jews were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, and they finished the building according to the command of God of Israel, the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and Exusius, king of Persia. Now, to me, that's a beautiful picture. You have the prophets. Listen to what it says. And the elders of the Jews were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah. They also finished the building according to the command of God of Israel and the decree of Cyrus, Darius, and Exusius, king of Persia. There's the king, the prophets, and the elders all working together. What did they do? They finished the building of the house of God. Isn't that a beautiful picture of even in the Old Testament of the prophets prophesying? And what were they doing? They were supporting the builders. And it says that the building was complete because of Haggai and Zechariah were supporting them. <laughs> That's just a big old Selah. Probably not for you, but for a whole bunch of people listening. <laughs> I didn't finish. On iBethel TV. I hope you're listening. Are you listening? Must have been. You wouldn't have been laughing. So the prophets are, are to support the building of the church. They're not to be on the outside of the church, <laughs> prophesying against the church. <laughs> These things seem so simple, but it's funny how uncommon common sense is. The goal is for the prophets to be part of the government of the church and for them to be prophesying so that the elders and the fivefold ministry can be successful in building the church and seeing cities change. Wouldn't it be awesome if the decrees of kings and the decrees of prophets created synergy so that the kingdom could grow? Oh, that's, just, that's what I think. I'll give you one more. Prophets protect nations. In 2 Kings 19.6, Isaiah, this is to um, Hezekiah. Hezekiah gets this word that um, the Assyrian king is going to come down. He's going to do all these terrible things and, and he doesn't listen. And uh, I mean, uh, first of all, it's inspiring because this all happened. Let me back up. Hezekiah, it says that Hezekiah clung to the Lord. That's the description when it opens up and it says, And Hezekiah clung to the Lord his God, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria. And he began to serve God. And when the Assyrian king found out that Hezekiah turned away from him and served God, it says that he began to send messengers to Hezekiah saying, Listen, we wiped out all these other countries and you're next. And he began, and, and the king of Assyria began to send messengers to, to go into public squares and proclaim, Hezekiah can't save you. Listen, we took this nation out, we took this nation out, we took this nation out, and Hezekiah can't save you. And Hezekiah tried, Hezekiah tried to make friends with him, 
by cutting off the golden doorknobs of the temple and giving him an offering. Just think about that. He gave him the knobs, the doorknobs, the door handles, the golden door handles to try to appease the king of Syria after he had taken a stand against him. Sometimes we give the enemy access to our life. But once he's found out that we cling, you know what? Once you clung to the Lord, nothing's going to satisfy him. <laughs> Just a thought. And so the king of Assyria, he's, I mean, sorry, Hezekiah's scared. He's scared. And he takes the letter from, from the king of Assyria and he lays it out before the Lord. And he weeps over it and he rips his clothes. And, you know, he's, he's, he's totally stressed out. He thinks that there's no way that his army could actually take on the, the Assyrian army. And then um, something happens. Isaiah hears what's going on. Isaiah said to them, Verse 6, Thus you shall say to your master, to the king, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid of them because of the words that you've heard, which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so he will hear a rumor and return to his own land, and he will fall by his sword in his own land. And then it goes on to say that the Lord sent angels out. (laughs) I like that. The Lord sent angels out to confuse the Assyrians. I mean, I don't know. Could this happen in modern day? I mean, could the Lord just call a prophet, American prophet, just to the English prophet? I don't know where else you guys are from. Hong Kong, all over. You got Hong Kong prophets? If you don't, you could just borrow some of ours. We've got extras. And we just began to prophesy protection over the borders of our nations. I mean, it's any bo- better than any border patrol. Can you imagine angels on the borders of your country? Not letting drug dealers in. Not letting drug cartel in. We were with a man recently who was... Um, I, I can't tell that story. This is being casted. Um, but the Lord knows how to protect people. Sorry, I totally forgot. I put his life in danger. I can't do that. The Lord knows how to protect his people. And oftentimes, it's the, it's the prophets and the prophetic people who they hear of trouble and they send angelic messengers out to protect land. I, I, I don't just mean from you know, enemy kings, but I mean from tornadoes and from earthquakes and from hurricanes and from tidal waves. Um, I remember um, this was, uh, it may have been three years ago, uh, leadership, I think it was three or four leadership advances ago. So that may have been a year and a half, two years ago. We, we had one of our, uh, uh, Dave Crone in a country, I can't remember where, I'm so bad at details. Where was it? In Fiji. And one of the people on the stage as we were worshiping, um, she was painting a picture of a big wave. And in the middle of the wave, I think it went like this. In the middle of the wave, she decided to draw a wall in the middle of the wave. And so she draws this wall in the middle of the wave. And I think, I think it was while she was painting it or right after. Oh, yeah. Here, come and tell the story. This is such a great story. I'm sorry. 
Bill is amazing at remembering details. It, it's uh, it was a wave, a block wall, and an island. And the next day, we got word that there was an earthquake in the Pacific, and there was a tsunami headed towards Fiji. And so we began to pray. And some actually began to pray. Uh, we, we just had this, honestly, a very intense and massive time of intercession. And some began to actually pray, Lord, put up a wall to protect Fiji from that wave. Not being even conscious of what was painted the night before. What, I, I didn't notice it, to be honest with you. While we are praying, our eyes are closed, we're praying. Somebody went and found the painting, put it right here on the stage. And it was exactly what we had prayed. And that, that boosted, obviously, the faith where we knew, all right, now we're, we're right on the word, target word of the Lord, and the tsunami completely dissipated and was nothing by the time it got to Fiji. Wow. That's what I was trying to say. I should have actually gave you my notes and probably the rest of my message would have been... What I want us to do is, why don't you just stand right now? I have a sense that um, that some of you are in circumstances. It may be your city, it may be you personally, it may be your country. That as we were speaking, the Holy Spirit just dropped in your heart. That if you would prophesy into this situation, I, I love. Uh, you need to read. Uh, is that? First uh, Kings 18, yeah, it's First Kings 18 is the story of Hezekiah. I really encourage you to read, start there and re- finish the story because it's just a great story. Isaiah just tells him, uh, King Hezekiah, two or three times, "Don't worry, <laughs> I got your back." Don't, listen, don't be discouraged. Listen, he's gonna, and, and he just encourages this king. I just have a sense that remember when we, as we opened, we talked about that sometimes there's an anointing for certain things, a corporate anointing, a corporate purpose for certain gatherings. I just have a sense tonight that the Lord wants us to prophesy into situations. Like the king, uh, like the, like king Hezekiah did. And that the Lord, I have a sense that it just feels like the same night when that Gal was painting that wall. It was so encouraging because we were just like going after it because uh, the part that uh, Bill didn't tell you is David Crone, one of our part of our apostolic team, was on the island of Fiji, and so he called and said, "Would you guys pray? There's a tsunami heading right for us." So we just started. We just stopped the meeting right there and we just began to pray. And we just we, we prayed and someone started praying out loud that there would be a wall of protection. And that's when they brought the picture up. And actually, the, the prophetic uh, painting you know, that was done the night before was actually a declaration of God, what God would do the next day. And I just really, um, I really believe, uh, in America, I believe it's been prayers, the prayers of the saints and the, and the prophetic declarations from the prophets and, and the prophetic people that's kept our nation safe. I mean, I thank God for our presidents and our, our police officers and our security. I, I don't want to dishonor anyone. But I, but I actually think that it's been the Lord that's kept our country safe to this day. And um, I think that, and I would say the same for many of your countries. And so 
You know, it's interesting, George Washington, um, one of our uh, heroes in our history, our very first president, and one of our finest generals, George Washington was um, known as a man who couldn't be killed. And one time he got so frustrated, this is a very popular story in history, he got so frustrated because, you know, he was, he, he's actually fighting the British who are really well-armed, well-trained, you know, this, they're, they're an army, he's got a militia, a bunch of farmers with hunting rifles trying to win a war, and they don't know anything about fighting, they keep running off. Finally, George Washington says to him one day, he says, the next man who runs off, I'm going to shoot you in the back. And, in, and I'm, I'm going to bury in an unmarked grave. And so they get into this battle and, and with the British, one of the, one of the battles with the British. And, and sure enough, just like his men do time after time, they run off. And George Washington gets so upset that he just runs, I mean, he just rides his big horse right to the edge of the ridge and lets the British shoot at him. And the story goes that they... They emptied their, their rifles trying to kill George Washington. And when he got back to camp, he had four bullet holes all the way through his coat, through, through the front of his coat and the back of his coat, but he was never wounded in battle. And one, I read one historian who said that actually the British king, one of the reasons why the British king finally surrenders is because the British generals said George Washington cannot be killed. Oh, I didn't tell you this part. After they emptied their rifles trying to kill George Washington, this whole British army, it says that it, the uh, history says that the army stood, the British army stood, and they clapped for him, and George rode off. <laughs> they said, they said, the historians, many historians said there was like an invisible force field around George Washington, never wounded in battle one time. Is that amazing? And um, I, I just, I really believe that the Lord wants to send out angelic armies to protect your family, to protect our countries, and to get things done. We need to get her done. And I, I just, um, how many of you have something, a circumstance in your mind? Now, We've prayed for healing and those kind of things, and we're going to pray some more for, for people who need to get healed and that sort of thing after. I really don't have that sort of thing in my mind right this minute. I'm actually thinking of circumstances, dangerous circumstances, children who, who have gone astray, who, um, you know, they just don't want anything to do with God. And God needs to just send an angel out like Balaam on the donkey. You remember the angel? Shh. Angel's like, I wouldn't go on if you were you. The donkey's smarter than the prophet, which doesn't surprise anyone, I'm sure. The donkey's not going to go on. Balaam is. Balaam's like, go donkey. Donkey's talks back. Donkey prophesied. I've known people like that. So, uh... Yeah pretty bad when a jackass is smarter than the prophet so let's let's just how many of you have situations in your life that um, that you just that you need angel help in 
Yeah, we should all be lifting our hands because I, I know globally we got we have issues. I don't know if any of you've had the courage to look at the newspaper in the last like two years. <laughs> but we, we need help, you, you think? And so what I want you to do is I want you just to ask the Holy Spirit right now for a prophetic declaration over your situation, whatever it is. And I want you just to begin to prophesy to that situation. I want you to begin to prophesy to that situation. Okay? Ask the, uh, listen, I, I don't want you just to say good words. I'm not asking you to pray. Okay, maybe I need to like demonstrate what I'm saying. I'm not saying, like, okay, the economy's bad. Holy Spirit, I just, okay, I can see the economy's bad. I just pray for the economy right now in Jesus' name. You would turn the, I'm not, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm, that's good. That's really good to do that. I'm asking you to ask the Holy Spirit what you should prophesy to the economy. And it would look something like this for me. I would just begin to prophesy into, that a spirit of generosity would come over our nation. Because in the book of Acts it says that, they, that when they were generous, that n- there was no need among them. And I, and I would just begin to break um, the power of greed and the power of mammon. And I would send out the angelic help that brings about generosity. And I would just begin to do that. Like that. So I don't know what your issue is. But that's what I want you to do. And we'll do it in unison. So how many of you have something, something you need angelic help for? Okay, very good. So uh, let's just take a minute to ask the Holy Spirit what, that, what the answer to that is. Okay? Just begin to ask the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's prophesy in the opposite spirit of the world. Let's begin to give kings some help. Can we? Let's not, can, we, can we do this? Uh, can we agree? Listen, do whatever you want to do in your house. But in our house, please don't prophesy against our president or against our, against our cities. Um, we, we, we have enough of that already. We don't need any more help. We've done that, all right? So if you could, like, build us up and encourage us. If you're going to prophesy into our nation, if it could be positive, that would be helpful. So if you're going to do that to, yours, uh, to your nation, too, let it be helpful. Please don't uh, prophesy judgments against our president or any of that kind of stuff. Um, the Holy Spirit convicts will convict him uh, of, of sin, righteousness, and judgment. We can convict him of the glory he's called to. And, and um, so, okay, so let's just get in our hearts and minds what we're going to minister, and let's just begin to pray. Let's begin to pray, and then in a minute or so, I'm going to release you to prophesy, okay? So, Holy Spirit, come on, let's just pray right now. I just pray for a prophetic mantle to be on this house right now. A prophetic mantle, as it was in the days of Samuel. Let it be in these days. See, this is a great way to stop terrorism right here. So much less expensive. Good Lord. Just, just keep, just keep pressing into the Holy Spirit for. Another minute or so. We're just going to begin to prophesy in a minute or so into those situations that the Holy Spirit's just giving you eyes to see. Okay, let's just begin to prophesy all together. We just prophesy into your situation right now. Prophesy into whatever it is the Holy Spirit gave you. 
uh, a call to prophesy to. I'm going to turn off my mic so I'm not the loudest thing happening in here for a couple of minutes while you minister to um, the people, the nations that God's called you to, okay? Okay, go for it. I just have this vision that that I see this just I see this multitude like 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 more than troops just a multitude of angels and I see this as we're prophesying that they're getting dispatched like I saw this dispatcher like you four go there you two go that way there's go a uh, hundred of you you go that way this like this organization of dispatched angels and Lord we just dispatch angels over our countries right now Lord, we pray right now that you would dispatch angels over our countries. Yeah. They would begin to draw people into the kingdom. Lord, we, we release, we release the, the, the angels of reconciliation. Lord, we just pray right now for reconciliation. We prophesy reconciliation over nations. We prophesy reconciliation over, over nations in Jesus' name. That the angels would go out. Lord, we thank you for angelic help. We pray that you would, Psalms 91, that you would begin to surround our nations with angelic help. Lord, that that the church would begin to reconcile people. Reconcile people groups. Reconcile, Lord, we just, we pray for that. That no longer would demonic forces begin to uh, rise up and cause violence and hatred and bitterness and suspicion. Lord, we pray that you'd break that right now over people. And Lord, we prophesy that a spirit of reconciliation would be over the nations, even over the UN. (laughs) Come on, can it get that good? Lord, we prophesy over the United Nations that a spirit of reconciliation would be over the United Nations in the name of Jesus. Lord, that you would give our leaders wisdom. You said pray first for leaders. Lord, we pray for our leaders that you'd give them wisdom. And we release angels into the White House. We release angels into every office, every civil office in our, in, in our nations, in the nations that are represented here. We release a break, the breakthrough angels that Bob Jones prophesied, that there would be breakthrough angels. <coughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We pray for mercy. Pray for mercy on each of our lives. <laughs> 